Well, good morning, everyone. We're so glad to have you joining us. We thank you for coming out. We're here to spend some time worshiping the Lord, hearing from his word, and we're so glad you could join us. Welcome those of you that are joining us online as well. We're just uh, super excited to have you with us. So we're going to start the service by standing, if you're able, and we will um, sing some upbeat songs that will get us into the spirit of worshiping the Lord. Go! Cool. 
Welcome to Lake Evangelical Free Church. We are excited that you are here, whether you're in person or online. We really appreciate uh, just you joining us. My name is Ian. Uh, I'm the youth and family pastor here, and uh, I'm filling in for Pastor Tim this morning. He's off running around an island, so you'll have to ask him about that when he gets back. Uh, a couple of announcements. If you are new, we would love for you to fill out a Connect card. It's right in the a seat right in front of you. You can just fill that out and put it into the offering, um, and we would just love to connect with you. And um, if you have prayer requests or, um, honestly, anything else that you would like the church office to know, please do not hesitate to fill that out and put it in the back. Um, we are so thankful for all of your gifts and tithes and offerings. Um, if you want to give and worship through that way, you are welcome to use the... Um, the boxes in back that are for that. If you are new, we would like this service to be our gift to you, so please do not feel obligated to give. Um, in the back, in front of the bulletin board, you will notice a trifold board, and on that trifold board there's a bunch of envelopes. That is our camp scholarship program that we're doing this year. If you would like to help a student go to Honey Rock Camp this year, you can take one of those uh, the directions around the board or in your um, in your bulletin and uh, you can bring those back by May 28th and put them also in the back coming up VBS 2022 I wonder which is going to be an exciting VBS this year July 11th through the 14th if you are kindergarten through going into sixth grade um, we would love for you to attend that um, it's going to be great. We're going to have a lot of fun. I've already been looking at, well, I've been hearing about crafts and games and other things that we've been doing, and it's just going to be a super fun, crazy, sciencey VBS. So if you want to attend, please go to tlefc.com slash VBS, or .org slash VBS. If you want to volunteer, come and talk to me. And finally, we have a church meeting coming up on June 5th. Um, we are looking at voting on a new budget and also some new positions that um, are new people coming into different positions. Those are all listed on the back of your bulletin. Um, please take a second to read those. Um, yeah, it'll be a fun church meeting, so hope you attend. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to gather together, Lord, as your church. We thank you that we can do that openly um, in, in our community, allowing others to know that we are doing this. There are so many countries that people cannot do that, and we think of them this morning. We thank you for our provision of this church building and um, 
just all of the different things that, that have been going on. Thank you for protecting us and watching over us, Lord. We think of people in our community today that have um, recently lost someone. There's been lots of funerals this year, it feels like. We ask that you would comfort them, give them your peace. We think of our nation and the things that are happening in it, Lord. Pray that you would bless our leadership, give them strength, wisdom, and your clear guidance. In this service today, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you, and I ask that you would help us to worship well, worship you honestly, worship you in a way that you would have us, help us to put aside distraction, other things that are happening. We are here worshiping you, and we want, we want to do that well. We ask your blessing on the rest of our fellowship together downstairs afterwards. Help us to love one another well and to um, just not allow division or, as, as it says in Colossians, factions or anything else that gets in the way, Lord. Help us to be your church and help us to do it well. We love you, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus of Nazareth! I saw what you did to the leopard on the road this morning. My friend has been paralyzed since childhood. He has no hope but you. Please, do for him what you did for the leopard. That's a rope! Put it back, man! You are willing, Rabbi. I know you can do this. not the authority of any rabbi from Nazareth. Where did you study? Your faith is beautiful. Son, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right. But I ask you, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. Or rise up and walk. It's easy to say anything, no? But to show you. And so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. 
say to you, my son? Rise. Pick up your bed. And go home. Let's stand and let's sing of this waymaker, this miracle worker, this promise keeper. Stop working. You never stop. You never stop. You never stop.
in the last couple of weeks, I've become totally captivated by a song that Jen and Cammie have taught us, The Goodness of God. Um, this song is powerful for people of any age, but I think it's particularly powerful for those of us who have been following the Lord for 40, 50, 60, some of you, over 70 years. We've seen a lot of stuff, haven't we? A lot of good and a lot of bad. Am I right? And God's goodness is not about making your life easy. It's in helping you through those times when things get hard. And in sending good things your way. From beautiful sunsets to an answered prayer to a faithful friend. All of those things reflect the goodness of God. So I hope, like me, that you can, when you start to get old, you start to realize that you might not always have breath to sing of the goodness of God. So if you have breath this morning, please sing with us as we sing about the goodness of God.
you have been so, so good to us. Even if we've not been following you for long, or at all, you have extended a common grace to all of us. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. We have food. We have water. We have shelter. Summer arrives every year. We all get to see beautiful sunsets, and we get to spend our days in these beautiful north woods. Lord, we just want to acknowledge your goodness to us and to say thank you. Lord, when our life gets hard or uncertain, when the world seems to be spiraling out of control, we want to choose to put our trust in you. We don't want to trust in our bank accounts. We don't trust in our jobs. We don't trust in our politicians. We choose to put our trust in you alone. Thank you for being so, so good to us. Amen. Please be seated. So I have it on good authority that at times there are some of us that have taken a little nap during church. And I wanted to just combat this right now. So I went into the history books, and I found a place where this was also a problem. During the 16th and 1700s, in New England, during summer, sleeping in church was an issue. A big issue, I guess. Um, I mean, I want you to imagine one-room church, right? It's hot. It's muggy. You've got the windows open, but you've packed the place out because literally the entire town's there. Who wouldn't want to just take a little nap while the pastor does the four to five hour sermon that he decided to do. Right? So, one pastor, Joseph Moody, a minister in Second Church of York, I don't know, this was in Maine, I don't know what the first church was, but he, um, he was preaching and he was pretty angry as he noticed many of his congregants going to sleep. In response to this, he yelled, fire, fire, fire. And everyone panicked, right? They're running around, and as it calmed down, they asked, where was the fire? He said, in hell for sleeping sinners. (laughs) Some places considered building cages for those who had fallen asleep in church, and even a couple places had people flogged for people falling asleep in church. So entered a character in a position known as the tithing man. The tithing man was a man who was employed by the church and would usually be perched on some kind of a balcony, and he would be given a staff of office. And on one end of that staff would be either a hardened ball or a, some kind of a hardened point or even a thorn. And on the other end would be a feather or a piece of fur. Now, he would patrol his balcony, and as he would see people falling asleep, if it was a man, they would get a whack with the ball or a poke or something like that. And if it was a woman, you would get to awaken to something weird and fuzzy on your face or neck. Um, Which, you know, I I think this is a great idea, right? (laughs) I volunteer. You volunteer? The biggest obstacle to the tithing man was the fact that many women of the time would wear large bonnets, and it was hard to, you know, get your, get your stick in there. But um, the tithing man did hold some real power, and one of the things that he policed was going to church on Sundays. Um, so there is an account, this is from the 1780s, that our first president had a run-in with a tithing man uh, while he was riding from one town to another. And as he was riding, he ran into this tithing man. The tithing man stopped him and would not let him leave until he promised that he would be only going to the next town and that he would be attending church there. So these guys were, they were a big deal. So I will be on on June 5th at our church meeting, I will be putting a motion to hiring a tithing man. No, I won't be, but June 5th, there is a church meeting. Come, it's after the coffee hour, it'll be great. So this, this idea of the tithing man does bring up the question, what are we to do with the idea of Sabbath, 
What does it look like for us to honor the Sabbath? And what does a good Sabbath rest look like? So we're going to today be doing an overview of the idea of Sabbath rest. Now, if you do a quick read of the Gospels, you get this idea of Sabbath, but you also get this idea that Jesus kind of has a problem with it, right? Or maybe he doesn't. Maybe he does, but he keeps doing stuff on the Sabbath when everyone says that he doesn't, uh, or that he shouldn't be doing it. So this begs the question of what is the purpose of it? So in Genesis 1 and 2, so we are going to be jumping around a bunch today, um, I'll have some on the screen. If not, there'll be short references that I will read. So, um, in Genesis 1 and 2, we give the basics of creation, right? God creates earth in six days, and on the seventh, he rests. It says in Genesis 2, 2, and I'll read this really quickly. Um, Genesis 2, 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So this is is the first reference to Sabbath. Right away, second chapter. Now, as Moses is writing this um, in Genesis, it's it's not a command, right? We don't see a command until Exodus 20, um, where Israel is at Mount Sinai, and the Ten Commandments are handed down to them. Now, hearing about the Sabbath, right, a day where we are to keep it holy is not really that foreign of an idea. I mean, all of us take at least one day off a week. Some of us take two days off, right? Saturday, Sunday. Um, And so we usually don't do a ton of work, as we think of work. But... In the ancient times, this was revolutionary. Okay? If you live in an agricultural society and you stop working, what happens to your crops? If you live in an agricultural society and you don't make a fire and don't cook your food, do you have food? Not unless you prepare it beforehand, right? So no work equals no food, right? No food equals no money. No money equals no status. And in Israel... If you didn't have money and status, could you get animals to sacrifice to pay for the sins that you committed? No. Not working on Sabbath was a tangible way for God to tell them, you are my children, and your works will not get you closer to me. Israel as a nation needed to trust God for their provision. And even as a nation, think about it, as a full nation taking a day off, when all the nations around you don't take the day off, is that really a super smart move? Politically? Not especially. Um, So we have Israel now in the desert, right? Taking a singular day off. Now, they they kept the idea of Sabbath as they entered the land, that was promised to them, and into Joshua's time, into the judges, through both the United Kingdoms and the split kingdoms. And as Israel and Judah were taken over, um, taken over by different nations, so we have Assyria, right? They come in, they take over the northern kingdom, Israel. And then Babylon comes in, takes over the southern kingdom, Judah. They suddenly have a dilemma. The central piece to Israel's Religious structure was the temple. But if you're taken into a foreign land, can you sacrifice or can you worship at your temple? And the answer is no, you can't do that. So they instead start a new type of worship. And that is the synagogue system that we see today, right? We see on Saturdays, Jews going to the synagogues, worshiping. And we also see a foundation for the Pharisaic law, which was put into place. The Pharisees and Israel that had been taken by the Babylonians and the Assyrians, they heard what the prophets had said, which the prophets before them, their whole message to Israel during the split kingdoms was, if you do not follow the law, you will be destroyed and your nation will be taken out. And that's exactly what happened, right? 
So the Pharisees, they started a fanatical religious group that followed the laws to the letter, period. Where we see Jesus, right, in Jesus' time, what were the Pharisees doing? They were taxing people's mint leaves, right? They were saying, if you drag a stick on, sun, on Saturday, that's known as farming. If you spit on the ground and cover it with dirt, that's irrigation. If you take wheat and you just pull a single seed off and you shuck it, that's harvesting. So this is the basis that we see the Sabbath in the Gospels. One that is legalistic and doesn't take into account the fact that God gave the Sabbath to Israel, number one, to show them you can trust me and that I am providing for you. But number two, that God is, um, God is giving them rest. God is giving them a day where they don't need to be working because he's got it. The Pharisees changed things in a way that, um, that Jesus, he puts it this way. He says that they, would, that they were whitewashed tombs, right? Inside they were dead, but on the outside they, were, they looked pretty good. So, the Israelites who first got the Ten Commandments, who first were told about the Sabbath, right? They were the ones that were rescued by Moses, by God, and taken into the wilderness. Now, they were given this idea of Sabbath. And it was, they were told, on one day, you're not going to work. You're not going to go and do things. And you need to trust me for everything that I'm giving you. Now, the Israelites who first got this did have some trust issues, though, as we can see. In uh, Psalm 95, David writes about it this way. So I'm going to start in verse 6. It'll be on the screen. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared my oath in my anger. They shall never Enter my rest. So I want you to notice a couple things here. The word Meribah and Masa. Okay? Meribah and Masa, if you even in your Pew Bibles, it'll say this at the bottom. There's a footnote that says that they mean, and I'm gonna pull it right right up here. Meribah means quarreling and Masa means testing. Um throughout their time, even though God took them out of Egypt the Israelites were unable to trust God as they were going across the desert. And because of that, they did not enter his rest. Now, that word rest down there, it's talking about Sabbath rest. Now, we're no no longer talking about just a day, though. Eventually, we will get to a point where we're going to look at Sabbath rest as something else, because that word ends up in Hebrews, in other places, and it's a picture for something else. So I want you to think about that. Um, because of their choice not to trust God, a whole generation of Israel were led from Egypt and were locked out of the land of promise. They were not allowed into the promised land. Now, um, why were they not allowed in? Because over and over again, they tested God. They said they didn't want to follow him. They said, why did you lead us into the desert to die? We had it way better as slaves in Egypt. Now, I want you to think about just what I just said for a second. We had it way better as slaves in Egypt. Do you hear how nonsensical that sounds? But they only saw the bad. They only saw the fact that they weren't getting what they had. The prime example of them not trusting God is the story of the 12 spies in Numbers 13 14. I'm going to overview it really quick. So Israel had 12 tribes. And as they got closer to the land, this is very soon after they left Egypt, as they got... Um, Closer to the land, Moses and Joshua and Aaron, they got some people together. They said, hey, we're going to go check out the land. Every tribe needs one representative. 
So there are 12 spies that go into the land, and they scout it out, and they find out that the promised land is a great place, okay? It's flowing with milk and honey. Not literally. I want to make that very clear. But it was a very nice land, and as they were going, they found huge, huge things of grapes that one man could not carry, a huge cluster of grapes. It was so big. But they, the tw- 10 of the 12 spies overlooked all of that. And what they instead saw was the fact that there were giants there. So they came back to Moses and Aaron and the people, and they freaked out. Okay? They said, we can't take this land. We're all going to die. Why are we here? Two of the spies, one named Caleb, one named Joshua, they said, no, no. Giants, compared to God, are small. We can take them. All right? So God gets mad and says, you guys have been bellyaching this whole time. You're not listening to me. You're not trusting me. Even though you saw me beat down the biggest empire in the world, which was Egypt, that wasn't enough for you? You don't think I can take on some giants? All right, well, you guys aren't going to see this land that I promised you. You aren't going to enter my rest, as it says in Psalm 95:11. And so, instead of going into the land, they got to spend a 40-year vacation wandering around the desert. Okay? They all died. Moses, Moses did not. Uh, I can't remember whether Aaron makes it all 40 years. But Caleb and Joshua both don't age a day. And in Joshua, you find out that Caleb is killing giants at 88. Okay? This guy's insane. Okay? But um, they had the opportunity to trust God and enter the land, but instead they decided that fear and unbelief in God's abilities was a better option. They only saw the obstacles. Um, do you guys remember when we looked at Genesis 2-2, where it says that the Lord rested on the seventh day? In Genesis, there's this pattern that happens. First day, in Genesis 1, the first day, God creates heavens and earth, right? And it says there was morning and there was evening. Second day, God creates morning evening. Third day, morning evening, Fourth day, morning, evening. Fifth day, morning, evening. Sixth day, God creates man, morning, evening. You get to the seventh day, there's no morning and there's no evening. Do you know why? God's rest doesn't have a start or an end. God's sabbatical rest that is for us, that is for the Jews, that they entered into, doesn't have a beginning or end. And we'll explore that more. But this solidifies this idea that the Sabbath, it's, it's about something else, about something a little bigger. The Sabbath is a picture of what is to come. In Hebrews 3 and 4, um, which 4 will be on the screen, the author of Hebrews quotes directly from Psalm 95. And in this passage, he's talking about how, God, how Jesus is superior in every way possible. So Psalm, or, uh, Hebrews 2 talks about how Jesus is superior to angels. Psalm 3 talks about how Jesus is superior to Moses. Psalm 4, or Hebrews 4, I'm sorry. Hebrews 4 talks about how Jesus is superior to Joshua. And we're going to go through that right now. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we have believed entering the land just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For Joshua has given them rest. If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. 
there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to divided, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It divides the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So Jesus' rest is far superior than that rest that was to be given to Israel. Namely, that rest was going to be a home, right? They were going from slavery through the desert into a home, into their own land that was given to them by God. But that land was not sufficient, right? We know that today. We look at Israel. Is there peace in the Middle East? Has there ever been peace in the Middle East? No. There will be a rest. There is a rest that we can enter into. But we are called to the same decision that they were given. Will they trust God and his abilities to take care of them as they enter this land, so they enter this land, or will they give in to unbelief? We are called to look at what God has done, both in Scripture and in our own lives, and put our trust in him for our needs to enter his final rest that he offers. Notice how it ends. This is a warning that God sees everything. God will know our belief or lack thereof, and there is nowhere to hide. This is a dire warning for those of us who do not put their trust in God for their salvation. It also should be something to to encourage us, to spur us on to share who Jesus is with our neighbors. Because there, there is one way, one way to God's rest, and that is through Jesus Christ. The Sabbath and the promised rest that God gave to Israel is a picture for us of something that was in the beginning and will again be in the future. We already have the effects of seeing that now. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, it's Jesus says that... Um, man, totally lost my thought. It's okay. Eleven twenty eight. it says that Jesus will give us rest, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So, all of that to say, what does that mean for us? So as a youth pastor, there are a couple of interesting frustrations. And one of those frustrations is sports. Every single spring, this is what happens. We live in the Northwoods, right? And the school has only so many gymnasiums. So in the spring, there's girls' soccer, track, junior high track, uh, softball, baseball, junior high softball, junior high baseball, younger middle school softball, younger kid baseball. Okay? All of that. Can you do baseball or track when there's two feet of snow outside? No, it's a little hard. So, what happens on Wednesday nights is usually for youth group we have between 15 and 20. Our numbers between March and April go down to like six for a good chunk of that, depending on the year. And a big reason that is is because people's practices get shifted around during the week because of different sports. So I've had lots of parents, grandparents come to me and talk about frustration with sports on weekends as well, talking about Sundays, the fact that there are sports on Sundays, question of should there be sports on Sundays. I think that frustration is kind of a trap, okay? When we think of Sunday, lots of times we like to think of people who took a strong stand on Sunday that Sundays are for church and nothing else and we shouldn't have anything else on it. The issue with that is that we're looking at Sunday as if it's this blocked off time that is God's and no one else's. 
we should look at Sunday and Sabbath rest as a whole, not one of as one of not one of laws and morals, but rather one of trust and grace. Okay. God is giving us a day of the week and saying, Hey, I know that you are going to be better off if you trust me with your Sunday and give us time. Or trust me with your Sabbath rest. And I am going to graciously give you this time. Notice how there is no hint of legalism in our understanding of the sabbatical rest. If you have a family thing on Sunday, it's okay. It's all right. Go and do that. If you have a sporting event on Sunday, it's okay. Go do your sporting event. When the Sabbath first was put into place, Exodus 30, 20, when it was put into place, it was to Israel, a nation that was to be distinct, whose rhythms were completely different from everyone else's, and really, did, it, did Israel have to live as a part of the rest of the world? Not necessarily. Israel is called to be their own entity. Us, as Christians, what are we called to be? We are called to be in the world. Not of the world, but to be in the world. And that means, guess what? Sometimes, it means missing church. It means not being here on Sunday mornings. But, God gave the Sabbath as a reminder to Israel of who he is, and that they need to trust him and his grace for their needs, both spiritually and physically. And it's the same thing for us. We need to trust God and go out and do the things that we need to do and show the world who Jesus is. And sometimes that means missing church. Number two, the idea of sabbatical rest is a foretaste of the rest that is promised with Christ. This is the idea of home, right? In Matthew eleven twenty-eight, as I quoted before, it talks about Jesus' yoke being light and easy and that he would give us rest. Israel was moving towards the promised land, and they were getting a home. Was that home perfect? No. It was filled with people that wanted to kill them, right? And they had to clean it out. We are going to inherit a home that we don't have to do that. God said that he is going to prepare a place for us. And so taking the time to have sabbatical rest is a picture of heaven. And finally, Sabbath rest needs to be a regular pattern in our lives. Israel had a weekly reminder to build their lives around the fact that every Sunday they wouldn't be able to make food. They wouldn't be able to start a fire. They wouldn't be able to clean their house. They wouldn't be able to go out and work on their fields. Some of us need that. We do need that kind of that reminder that, you know what, you need to do other stuff later on the week so you can take Sunday or whatever day it is that you have some time to be with God. God desired for us to hold firmly onto this. This idea that we need to have regular patterns in our lives that follow Jesus, that follow and put our trust in him. I want to end with this. So, we've talked a lot about Jesus' Sabbath rest, that it's coming, right? There's a picture of past, and it's a picture of future, right? There's one key part to Sabbath rest that I think the Pharisees missed maybe the most, okay? And that was the idea that on the seventh day, God rested, right? Who was there with him? Adam was there, right? When we go to heaven, what's the key thing that's going to be in heaven? Jesus, right? So when thinking about Sabbath and Sunday, whether I can do this on Sunday, whether I can't do this on Sunday, whether I need to be in church, I encourage you to be here, to be in community together. But at the very least, every single week, you need to be taking the time to spend time with God. Because that's really the big idea behind God's Sabbath rest. It's about spending time with God. Now, how you do that, I encourage you to get into his word. Okay? It talks about, in verses 12 and 13 of Hebrews 4, that it 
it cuts to the quick, right? It divides, it divines your spirit, it understands where you are, what you're doing, and God's word never comes back empty, right? It always goes out to us and always gives us something. But sometimes also it's being with a good Christian friend. Sometimes it's serving something. If you need opportunities to volunteer, come and talk to me. I have options. Um, But make sure that your Sabbath every week somehow is spending time with God. I know um, one of my brothers, I know he loves being out in the woods, and one of the reasons why is because that's where he feels God's presence. And that's an important thing. If you need some time in nature, then that can be your Sabbath rest. But the key ingredient to Sabbath rest is the fact that Jesus is there. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you that it is Sunday. We thank you that we get to gather as a community and worship you, Lord. I ask that you would give us your rest. Continue to reveal yourself to us and show us who you are as we spend time with you, Lord. We think of the Pharisees who so strongly held on to the idea of Sabbath. But they missed the fact that Jesus was right there with them. We thank you for your goodness, Lord, and the fact that you give us the gift of Sabbath and that we can trust you with who we are and what we're doing and where we're going, Lord. I ask your blessing on us the rest of this week and thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Ian. Let's stand together and just sing a very quick song of response to this message and then we'll be dismissed. to the heart.